contact. It's everywhere I see. Anybody in that boat can raise a hand? Quite a few of us, yeah? Life's just kind of there, so um, I hope that we can just settle in and focus tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we just come before you. God, we just ask that you would silence every distraction right now. Lord, that you'd let us to pour in to your word and let us hear from you tonight, Lord. God, we just confess that we don't know what we're doing. We don't know, God, exactly all the answers. But Jesus, we thank you that you are a faithful and loving God. Help us to see your truth tonight, Lord. Help the scriptures and your promises and, God, your truth resonate from this place. It's not about us. It's not about what we want. It's not about any individual here, God, but it is about your truth. And help us to take a look, God, at what you say is truth and what, God, you provided for us. We pray that we wouldn't be those who'd compromise and to water down and to try and make things okay when, God, that you're calling us to something higher. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's uh, open up to Galatians here. We are last week. If you got the text message or the email, you noticed something a little bit interesting. You got that three-letter kind of hot word that kind of grabs people's attention. And I'll explain why we're going to go through that. We're actually going to do a victory lap from where we were last week. It just wasn't quite good enough. Um, So we're going to go back to Galatians 5, verse 16 through 20. I'll give you a second to get there. Sip my purple Gatorade. My wife hates this stuff. I love it. All right. Galatians 5, 16. It says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under your obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, dot, dot, dot. That's all we're going to get to. Last week... I thought it was all great because I went through hearing and God really laid on my heart idolatry. And so we had a powerful time of just confessing the idols of our lives. And not these little wood carven idols, not these little bronze statues, not these things made of gold, but these idols that we carry in our life, whether it's acceptance, or whether it's money, or whether it's a relationship, or all these different things. We, we discovered the idols that control our lives and manipulate us. So that's where we were at last week. And I felt so good because it was like, great, we went through there. Hey, we're just going to like pass all that sexual stuff. And we're going to get to this one little one because I was like really passionate about it. And this week as I was looking forward to what we we're going to do, I was, I was reading. I was like, oh, okay, what's next? Oh, we got love. We got peace and patience and kindness and all these really easy like little three-step messages we could give. And I was like, sweet, you know, and, and I was like, all right, so next week will be super easy or whatever, you know, it won't be that hard to talk about love, right? And, uh, and it was the hardest thing ever. And what kept on kind of getting pressed on me until Wednesday morning when I was preparing is that God was calling me to talk about sex. I was like, really? 
oh man, really? And the more I thought about it, and the more I kind of kept on talking myself out of it, the more God confirmed it. And so tonight, I want to give a different angle. I've been seeking and searching this topic in these verses, and I'm going to pitch something tonight to you that I have not found anywhere else. I haven't found anything else that has met the way that I feel about this topic. And I think that for us, I'm not too far removed from most of us. I'm only 27. I've been married five years. I think that our generation needs a fresh dose of what God's plan is for our generation for sex. And I've, I feel kind of humble because I, I don't want to be in a position... I, I'd rather have Pastor Rick or somebody else do it. You know, I was like, why can't someone else who's been married forever you know, give this talk? And God just kind of confronted me. He's like, this is, this is what we need. I feel that he's been revealing things in my life recently that have been building this up. First off, this is not going to be a night where it just says, okay, don't do it. You know, I, I, I get we get that, right? You don't need another person, another message, another thing of someone wagging their finger in your face and telling you, don't do this, don't do this. Tonight, I want to go completely somewhere else. And part of this journey is I want to invite you guys. If you have a thought or a question, we're not going to do any table discussion tonight. But what I am going to do is we're going to throw a slide up on, on the screen. And this is going to give you some direct access if you want. Tonight is probably going to run just a little bit long, only because I think this is where, where we need to be for tonight. But there's going to be a, a potential to text message in to me if you want. Um, it'll go here, and I have a little spot here where I can look through my phone, and I can see the messages if you want to portray it. They're going to be anonymous to me. So you don't need to worry about anybody tracing back what you said or whatever. But you need to text into our, our service. And you do that by texting... Uh, the words join epic see up there at the top join epic to that number so when that happens you're going to get an instantaneous email back or a text message back and it's going to ask you just to confirm and just reply yes or why or whatever it says and then from there then you're in our system you can opt out any other time you'll probably get a, a weekly update on what we're doing but you can do that so once you're in then all you need to do is text a thought or question or response to that number and what we'll do is it'll come to my phone and we we'll, can go through that so if you want to do that, as we talk about this stuff, keep that in mind. We'll keep that up periodically in between while we're talking through points. And those uh, watching live at, at home, which uh, hello to uh, Stephanie and Dale and some other people that are watching live that uh, have since moved away, hello. Um, and also, if I have any family or relatives watching or listening right now, please turn off. <laughs> please go away. I really do not care to share this with any of my family. All right. Got that out of the way, right? All right. I'm just stalling right here. Okay. So, let me start off by just saying that I believe that our life in our culture has been this blender in our society with this topic. In my personal pursuits of kind of discovering what God has for just sexual sexuality and sex within marriage and sex within our culture has been crazy. It's gone from being a, a complete suppression of everything sexual to misconceptions about sex through our culture and media. And you watch movies and watch TV and you're like, oh, wow. You get all these ideas. And then we look around we see a generation that is completely scared of commitment. We have a divorce rate that's 55%. Why is that? We see all these things that happen and take place in our culture and they, they surround this whole sex topic. Everything that we do, everything we... Everywhere we go, everything we watch is screaming and pulling at these different kind of sexual ideas and, and things and desires. 
and they're just penetrating our mind and our thoughts and trying to shape what we believe and what we think. And we have a Bible here, and we often like to take a look at it. We like to say, okay, the Bible says sex is bad. You know, and that's like the general thing. Okay, this thing tells me a whole lot about what I can't do. And tonight, I'm going to say the exact opposite. Tonight, I want to go and, and challenge you to consider that sex, this very topic that's so taboo, and I wish that our culture, our church would talk about this more because it is so rampant within us, in this community even. I'm going to argue that sex is the very essence and at the very core of God's heart. Everything that you want to know and to experience about God and his heart and his essence and his goodness, I believe, is found in sex. Crazy. No stones have been thrown yet, so that's a good sign. But that's where I'm going to go. I'm not going to sit here and, and talk about all this stuff. I'm going to appeal to you because if, that, if I didn't believe that was true, if that wasn't true for my life, then Satan wouldn't be using sex in so many different ways to manipulate and to twist it. Is that sex is so perverted, so twisted, so moved around in our culture, God has to be there because the enemy, Satan, is doing all that he can to completely manipulate us and, com- and, com- and completely manipulate sex in of itself with us and with marriage and our relationships and dating and our ideas. I truly believe as we dial into this, as we go deeper, we are going to find and discover the essence of the heart of God. I told you several weeks ago that we were going to, through the scriptures, our calling and our purpose here in this community is to investigate the heart of God and to find the heart of God. Not to learn how to be better people or to be better Christians, but to find the heart of God. And I didn't realize that this was a big component until it hit me square on the nose yesterday. A couple of fun stats about sex. First, I'll make this a little interactive. Maybe you can guess this. Um, percentage of people who've ever had sex on the first date. Someone toss out a number. What do you think? 40%. 40? That's, that's a lot. It's actually 29, which I thought was higher. But 40, that's, that's not too far off. Average number of sexual partners a man has in a lifetime. Four. Four. <laughs> He's going to go low now. It's 20. 20. This is the average. This is, includes... Church and non-church. This is just not, hey, let's pick on people who don't go to church. This is everybody. Okay? Average sexual partners for a man is 20. How about women? Six. Close. Six. Number of adults who have weekly encounters with someone other than their spouse. Number of adults who have weekly sexual encounters with somebody other than their spouse. Each week. Brand new. 26 million. That is almost 10% of our population. Percentage of teenagers who have had sex by the time they finish high school. Who do, what do you think? 65. 50 and 60. Overall, percentage of television shows that feature sexual content. <laughs> Close. 70. These are crazy, right? This, this is sex in our culture right now. This is the truth. I'll, I'll post stats. I'll post references to all these studies. Here's, here's an interesting thing. One of the bigger twists within sex is pornography. We have some fun facts about pornography, too. We're going to show these on the screen as well here momentarily. 89% of all porn is created in the U.S. Mm. How about that for American pride? 
$97 billion is the worldwide revenue of porn. That is more than all the professional basketball, football, baseball, all the, the combined revenues of Microsoft, Google, Amazon, eBay, Apple, Netflix, and Earthlink all combined would equal the revenue generated from the pornography industry. Got that? Every second, $3,075 is spent on porn. Every second. I almost thought about if we had a, a, a calculator right now that could calculate that as we go. That just would be depressing, though. 260 porn sites go up every single day. And every 39 minutes, a brand new porn video is shot and produced and published. Every 39 minutes. That is our culture. That is our society. That is the black and white truth. I think that a lot of us, too, okay, we live in this culture. Okay, we can look at that. But what are the things that we carry around with us? There's a lot of things I carried around with me. I held a lot of myths, a lot of lies, a lot of distortions kind of growing into coming into adulthood, coming into who I am in Christ, and also who I was as a husband and coming in as a sexual partner with my wife. A lot of things. I'll share with a couple quick things. Do you believe this? You don't need to raise, raise hands, but that you believe that after the wedding, that sex would all go downhill. That that was like the horizon point. That was like, all right, that's the point where then it all turns and goes for the worse. I believe that. I was like, man, that's got to be, you know, that first time or whatever has got to be the best time. Something else I had is that married sex was going to be boring, stale, and lame, right? It's only with one person if you're married. How fun is that, right? One person your entire life, come, you know. Like, how about that? That you fear that you're going to be missing out on something. How about that sex is a solution? I have self-esteem issues. Sex will make it better. I have pornography issues. Sex will make it better. Then I won't need to look at pornography. I have self-control issues. And if I just could have sex, then I wouldn't have to struggle with having sex. Right? How about insecurity? How about our relationship would be so much better if only we could just have sex? How about that? How about all these different manipulations, these lies and the distortions that we have? I'm going to address those specifically later. Here's a problem that I found out later on, is that all this stuff that had been fed through my mind, through movies, through our culture, through pornography, all these different things, is I came to a point where I was kind of scared of sex. Why? It's because I was wondering if sex would be able to match what had been implanted in my mind. I wondered if I could ever have a relationship that would equal the, the things that I've seen, the ideas that I've had, all these different things. I wondered, is it even feasible to have a relationship and experience that would rival that? I, I bet a ton of us are in that boat. How could you not? You go see a PG-13 movie. And there's like boobs in it, right? And they're like having sex for like nine hours. And you know, like you, it's like, what? You know, and, and you have these ideas and you, these things that you just like, you wonder like, man, that's sex, really? And, and we build all these fears and assumptions off of these things. We can't look at it as, as a way to solve things. It, it, these things are killing us. What's interesting is that these misconceptions, these myths, these lies, what they're doing is they're slowly paving a little path before us of dysfunction. 
They're totally going to manipulate the way that we walk into relationships, into dating relationships, into marriages. They're totally manipulating the ways that we perceive women or men. All these things are painting the lenses of our eyes. And now we're walking into relationships with the best intentions, but they're fully tainted going into it. That's where we're at. That is our culture. That is this community. And that's why we need to talk about it. You guys with me? So the reason this is so dangerous is that when we're operating out of these false truths, these misconceptions, these ideas, is we really don't have any better idea. Right? No one else is talking about this, really. I kind of did a few Google searches. I couldn't find anybody else that was going to talk in this kind of manner and, and address specifically like this. You find all these things about, oh, don't do this and don't do that and how to break this and how to break that. And, but no one is, is appealing. And I think that everybody, and all things I read this week, and I'm sure there's out, much better sermons out there, messages, but I think that we're appealing to the wrong motive. Is I don't want to appeal to you guys to not have sex because the Bible says don't have sex before you marry. I want to appeal to you because I think that we're missing out on what sex really is. Could it be that we have a totally warped idea and we have it all wrong? And I'd like to rather appeal to you, how do we get the idea right? How do we get the whole notion? How do we get this and what is supposed to be right first? And then we can talk about let's not do this or do that. So here, what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to give you a new definition for sex. I believe that sex is the closest thing we as earthly humans can experience to God's love for us on earth. I believe that experience, the sexual experience, sex is the closest that we as humans can tangibly experience physically, emotionally, spiritually, can come to the heart of God. How does that do for you? kind of doesn't make it as much about, you know, all the dirty words and all the other stuff. I'm going to say that I believe this wholeheartedly, that a sexual encounter with your wife or your spouse, done in harmony, under a covenant of God, is the most powerful expression that you can receive of God's supernatural love for your life. Bummer, huh? That's not the, the right definition that we want. But this is such good news. This is such good news. This is going to set us free. When we begin to look at sex this way, we're going to find a whole new meaning and a whole new value. It's not about an orgasm. It's not about this or that. It's not about you. It's not about pleasure. It is, but on the other side of things. And I'll get to that in a second. Turn a couple pages down. Go to Ephesians 5.25, and I'm going to explain why this makes sense. Ephesians 5.25 through 32. 525, where are you? All right, there you go. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. We read that on our wedding day. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. So we just looked at an illustration relating God to the church as a husband relates to his wife. 
Got that? As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. You know what I'm saying? You know? And that's the whole one becoming one flesh, right? That's what it's meaning, you know? They become one. It doesn't mean like they got together and hung out, and now they got a nice little marriage license. No. Because they got it on. A man will leave his family and his mother and father and will go to his wife, and they shall become one in all the glory. This is a great mystery, but it is, this is important, this is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Got that? That's a smoking gun. This is a great mystery, but it is a text message. It is exhausted. An illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. There it is. It says it. You can't deny it. Sex is the earthly representation of God's church and God's love coming together as one. It's pretty powerful. Have you ever thought of it that way? Have you ever considered that that act, that dirty, naughty, naughty act, is actually the most purest form of love that God can commit to a people? It's awesome. What does that even mean? We look at that, okay, now we've said, we look at the scripture, we say, okay, man, sex is God's manifestation of us and him. In earthly form. It's a little teaser. So, if that is true, right? Everyone agree with that? If that is true, then why shouldn't we expect sex to be outrageously amazing? If God's heart is on the line and representing sex as his heart and love for the church, why shouldn't we expect that marital sex, when blessed by God, should be outrageously amazing? Should be the most phenomenal thing that we encounter in life because it is the closest earthly representation to God's heart. That is sex. But we, 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 we creep back, and we don't want to like to reconcile God and sex. It kind of like messes us up. Like, we just want him to stay in the two boxes, you know. This is sex time, this is God time, you know. They're one! And it's okay! I know it's going to be uncomfortable for a little bit tonight. Better yet, check this out. Flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So, God's heart is represented in sex. Great. So, we should expect that sex is pretty important. And if that is true, then we shouldn't expect to live these mediocre sex lives that are such a bummer and such a drag and all these bad things that we think. Now, check this out. God even commands this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3. Husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Hello. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over to his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. I'm going to read that one more time. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. But afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Are you listening to this? 
You hear this? God is not only saying, yeah, I made sex, it's my heart. He's like, do it a lot, okay? A ton. And he's saying, only, only stop to devote yourself more to prayer. The more kind of thing bothered me. You know, it's like, not to think about sex and prayer simultaneously, but it totally is legitimate. You know, like, yelling out a praise Jesus or something. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it kind of bugs me. But that is what he's saying. He's like, do it a lot. It is my heart manifesting itself in you. So have tons and tons and tons of it. And if you must stop, then pray a little bit, okay? If you feel you need to. And then check this out. He says, but do it only for a limited time. Don't stop having sex for too long. We don't want to do that because then, this is key. Because then Satan comes into the picture. Did you catch that? We equate sex and Satan all the time. And God's saying, without sex, the enemy now has a foothold. The enemy now has access to your life. It's kind of messing with your dome, huh? This is not what you guys wanted. But this is life-giving right here. So a couple of things to, to notice is that, given these scriptures, that God is there. God is actually... You know, like, in, in, and this is all, let me, again, disclaim, this is all in the context of a marital covenant relationship. I'm just not talking about hooking up. This is when we're using God's blueprint for sex. God's pumped. You get it on, God spikes a football. He's like, you know, cheering you on. He's like your coach, or I don't know. But he's stoked because his word is saying that this is holy. This is his heart, and this is good, and this protects you. God's there. God's glorified. He's worshipped. Sex is worship. What? Are you kidding me? That's such a crazy concept. Why is that? We've got to hit the reset button on us. Could it be impossible that God wants the maximum pleasure and freedom for you in sex? Could it be? Why not? His name is on the line. If his name is on the line for something, don't you think that this thing better be legit? It better be the best. It better be the highest of the highest of the high. I believe it. I'm only beginning to taste that and to experience that. And I believe that God moves us in ways in our marital relationships. I know many of us aren't there yet. But I want to give you a glimpse of what's on the horizon. Because that is his heart. That is who he is. So a key point there, I just want to point this out one more time. This is the end of verse 5. It says, Afterward, you should come together against that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. That sex is a defense against the enemy. He states it right there. That the enemy doesn't want you to get back together. That having that connection with your spouse is the building up and the strengthening of your existence, of your soul, of your relationship with God, of your marriage, of your life. And to not, then the enemy comes in. It's crazy. That sex is a defense mechanism. And this is exactly why we have such a battle. This is exactly why we have all those stats, we have all these issues, we have all this drama, all this baggage. It's because the enemy knows our flesh knows our flesh wants pleasure, wants to be comfortable, 
wants to go indulge ourselves. And he's using sex to get his ways. But it's the complete opposite. It's been so distorted. Sex is God's. And Satan has been manipulating it our entire lives and will continue to try and manipulate it. So, therefore, this, all this, all that we've learned, this is exactly why God is so concerned about illegitimate sex. This is why God is so passionate that we don't do these other things. That we don't just treat sex in these ways. It's because it's making a mockery of what he designed it to be. He said, sex in this context is the essence of my heart. Sex in this context, in this place, is going to be the best ever, the most glorifying, the, the bomb. It's going to be it. So stay within this box because this is the unfiltered heart of God right here. And when we go outside that, we think it's all the same, but it's an imitation. It's not the same. It's a complete distortion of the legitimacy of God's heart. And I believe it breaks his heart. This is also, all this is why the enemy is against us. If this is the closest thing to God, we've got to believe, and I can't stress this enough, I'm going to keep mentioning this, that this is why we have this battle over our mind, our ideas, and the myths of our mind. That the enemy is coming at us full barge with it. And last, I believe this is why God weeps when we give our bodies to other people. I believe this is why God's heart breaks when we just so cavalier in our relationships and we just give our bodies away. Because it's fun now. There's no guilt, there's no remorse, there's no any of that stuff in marital sex. It's awesome. I'll spare you the details. <laughs> Please don't picture it, but trust me. <laughs> it is amazing. And it's free of all that stuff. And it is the most life-giving, exuberant, joyous experience because I believe it is the closest that we can get to the essence of God's heart. You guys have any thoughts, questions? Oh man, I got a good one in here. What do I think about masturbation? Gee, nice softball. <laughs> um, everything I think about masturbation can be summed up in this. Is I believe it's Please let this be it. Um, Someone help me here. Um, There's a verse. I'm so convicted I don't have this. But it says, I will not be mastered by anything. It's 1st or 2nd Corinthians. I'm going to shoot myself around knowing this. It says, I will not be mastered by anything. It says, everything is beneficial, or everything is, let's see here, permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Help me out. What is that? I just went there. 1 Corinthians 6.12. All right. I'm going to read it out loud here. 1 Corinthians da, 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 12. Oh, yeah. Here it is. I just didn't recognize it. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. That is what I think about masturbation. 
you got to think that you have two thoughts here reconciling. Is that you have one is that God says that we shall not have adultery of our mind and our heart, which is thinking lustfully towards another woman. If you can masturbate without that taking place, I don't think, I mean, out of all these tons of pages, I mean, it's not something new to our culture. That thing has been around for a long time. Not that thing. That process? I don't know. Um, That whatever (laughs) has been around for centuries. So why does it never mention it in here? I think it's because it kind of gives us a line. Just as we talked about idols last week, is that we will not be mastered by anything. And we will not have adultery in our mind and our heart. And that's what I think. There is nothing wrong tangibly with the action per se. But, a caveat, I will not be mastered by anything. I think that masturbation rules the lives of most of the men in our society. I think it's, it's crippling. And if you can break free of that, I think you're set free. I don't have anything wrong. I just look to the scripture and say, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. I think that sums it up. <sighs> what if you lust over a female and male? Um, that's a hard one. I believe that God has wired us in ways in which... Um, he gives us freedom. I really believe that God allows us to be free. That doesn't mean that we have it all figured out. That doesn't mean that there aren't real temptations, real things, real feelings in our life. I believe those are all legitimate. But I think that we look at God's word, and I have to hide behind it. I have to say that God's word says that a man should not lay down with a man. It's not me. It's the word. That a man should be joined with the woman. And that is the marital covenant. And while there are very real challenges with us walking through life and having all sorts of this stuff come at us that we wrestle with very harsh realities of our life. And I think I've seen several people get free from that. I've seen several people walk through the experiences of their life and see how those challenges have arisen. That doesn't mean that that sin, if you will, is any worse than my sin of envy. God makes no distinguishment between those. I think we like to play favorites on maybe that one. Anything with homosexuality, we like to play favorites on that because it's a little more juicy. But the jealous heart that I have is equally abhorrent to God. So, let me uh, be careful here on on time. I have a couple things I want to say. I really think the essence of tonight is that we might treat sex completely differently if we had a different perspective on it. I think that we would completely treat our relationships, our dating relationships, our culture, if we looked at sex differently. And that's what I want to do tonight, is I want to pitch these things to you as paradigm changing for you. To not look at sex as this horrible, horrible thing. I, I call this, I, I coined this, what was it? Is this, this church sexual pendulum. Alright? I need to trademark more of this stuff. So here it is. The first one is suppression. I'll jump over here. Suppression is, no, 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 no. Don't do it ever, ever, ever. Bad, bad, bad. You get just drilled in your mind your entire existence. Don't do this. Sex is very, 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 very bad. You'll get an STD. You'll get pregnant. And you'll do all this stuff. And we get just mowed to death over here. Right? That's one side. I've been there. The other side of the pendulum is, 
Oh, my life would be complete because sex is the holy grail of my life, and if only I could have one, then everything would be perfect. And you've built this entire thing like having sex becomes you, your life's existence is, is pointed to that one date. I've also been there. I, uh, uh, I'm ashamed to say that in my early years, one of my biggest fears... Oh, man. No one else is this lame. One of my biggest fears was that Jesus would come before I was able to get married and lose my virginity. I mean, all right, we got one other person. Yes. Yes. We need to be lame together. Anybody else? I mean, while we're at it. All right. Oh, man. Whew. I'm only half as lame as I... So that was one of my fears. And I think this other pendulum is that, you know... Your kingdom come, your will be done, but just not until I lose my virginity. <laughs> you know, just one of these things. So we have these, these two big, you know, swings in this Christian, like, no, 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 no. And it is something that is not even attainable, you know, even in your wild, you know. Like, sex shouldn't be an idol. I mean, before you even have a relationship, you have someone to share that with, you've completely idolized this thing of sex. Sex, again, is the essence of the heart of God, which requires somebody else, that your life is joined with them. Those people who have this mind view are just concerned about an orgasm and just concerned about pleasure. Because it's void of the other counterpart. So I, th- I think that our culture, like, and especially in the church, we swing between these things, and it's so difficult. What do I do? How do I interpret this? And I'm just saying it's neither. Why can't we look at it as the, the heart of God? And look at it with excitement and say, man, it's going to be awesome. Why? Because I get to experience God in a crazy level. Let me, let me break it out for you this way. Here's a little analogy. Let's say you are 15, right? And you're home, and there's like a garage that is at your house, and your, your dad has this garage, and you notice your dad like pulling out stuff and working in the garage and all this stuff going on. And then one day... He comes and he puts a lock on the garage. You're like, a lock? What the heck? And so then you're curious. And you begin thinking, like, what is in that garage? What is there? Why are we protecting? Why are we doing this stuff? So you find a way, and you sneak in, you get in, and you get in the garage, and there's a car there. And it's covered. And you peek under it. It's like a Porsche or something. And it's your favorite car. And you cannot believe there is a Porsche in your garage that is hidden. No one's talking about it. No one knows it. It's been there for weeks now, and no one's doing anything about it. No one knows. That's the keys in ignition. You're like, oh, man, no way. My favorite car, my favorite. It's here. It's, it, and you, just, you can't contain it. And one weekend, your family goes away. When my family would go away, ooh, I'd be setting off bombs and doing all sorts of fire tricks and things. Your family goes away, right? Now you're by yourself. And let's say, like, this is several months later. And you've been trying to resist, and, and you, you finally jump in there, and you just, I just got to take the car for a drive. I just got it. And what do you do? You go out there, and you wreck it. You wreck it. And you come back, and you are completely filled with shame. That not only did you disobey your parents... Not only did you go out there and take this car, you wreck it, you cause it, it's totaled. And then this is the kicker. That you find out that your father loves you so much that he has been scrolling away a hundred bucks a month for the past 15 years so that he could give you a Porsche on your 16th birthday. 
has paid in full, just waiting for the right day, just waiting for your birthday. It was only a few months away. Just waiting. And now it's, it's gone. It's wrecked. Because you couldn't handle the potential that was waiting for you eventually. How about that? One more analogy. I have some tape here. Sal, can I get you here? There's a thing called soul ties. And soul ties are, are and I'll, I'll explain it this way. Have you guys ever heard that term? Soul ties? Okay. So, let's say this is you. Hello, you. And this is your future spouse. Hello, spouse. Looking good. Sweet. So, we're a little skinny here. So, you get married, right? And you say, God's heart is in sex. I need to preserve that. I need to know that my body is meant for one other person. And this person comes together, and you guys form. You become one flesh. So the Bible says, right? One flesh. Now, this is gorilla tape. This is not coming off. I mean, this is, this is on there. Okay? This is God's highest. This is God's best for us. All right? Now, um, all right, this might get awkward fast. I need a girl real quick. All right, yes. So, we looked at the average stats. So, let's say this is you now, and this is somebody else. Um, so, okay, so this is the guy, this is the girl, right? I want you to take that. Now, our stats earlier said the average male, including church and non-church, has over 20 sexual partners in his lifetime, right? So, I want you to take this, and anybody who's wearing jeans, a guy, I want you to go and, and do this. Should put this on here, right? Stick it on, right? And do that, right? And I want you to go find six girls who are wearing jeans or any pants, maybe not even like hair people, but you know, put it on there and take it off. I thought about, I honestly thought about putting it on my leg here until I felt like the stickiness. So, uh, yeah, if, if you know, this is a little intimate experience here. If you don't know Sal, I, you know, these people like say hello, you know, make it a little less awkward for them. Be nice. All right, Sal's got the bigger job because he's got to do 20. We need some, like, nice on hold music or something while Sal goes around. All right, you have the easier job because it's only six. Use leg hair now. I don't care. Put the floor. It doesn't, you know. Throw a tablecloth on there. Oh, man. All right, you got six? I'm longer. I have more free time. All right, All right. nice. Let me see that. Nice to meet you. Right. Thank you. Okay. So we get the point, right? All right. Stalling here. 20 is a lot of people. So this, if nothing else, this is the average guy who's doing this. So soul ties. What are soul ties? Soul ties, we have this glue that's given to us by God. Soul ties are the things that we mistakenly put on that glue that were maybe never meant to be there. If this is God's design, that we would have one sexual link with one person for all of eternity, and this is our average culture, put these together, right? 
You can spend, I mean, it rubs. There, there's, I can put it on, on, on paper, and it, it, this stuff would rip it normally. It doesn't do anything. I mean, it's, it's completely useless now. This is what soul ties are. This means that we give ourselves to these different people, and, and oh, man, it worked out so great, but we just couldn't get along, so we broke up. Oh, we're doing this, and, and you know, you know, he said he really loved me, and so, you know, we, we, we had sex and for a long time, but, you know, he's just really not the right guy for me. You know, we do these different things. We, we give parts of our body, we give parts of our soul to these different things, and then we have the pain of ripping it off. And it hurts. And it hurts for a reason. It's not because God's cruel. It's because God designed it a certain way. And when it's outside that, it, there's consequences. There's pain. It's a bummer. I mean, you cannot make these two stick at all like this. This is on there forever. This. That's what soul ties are. I believe that a lot of us are dealing with different soul ties. That we've been going through life and we have all these things. And above all, I'm here to tell you that God is a redeemer. God is totally able to take this mess and to make it this. I believe that. But that doesn't mean that we don't get to be away from any of the consequences that go there. I mean, I have, though I was somehow by the grace of God able to stand at the wedding altar with my wife, us both virgins, sitting back, looking back, and I'm so glad. I don't even know if I even had an opportunity before, but that doesn't matter. The point is that we were. <laughs> I mean, sometimes that helps, you know? Like, you just, there's, there's not a, a prayer for, you know, anyway, so. Um, <laughs> sorry. Whew. On that note, um, what was I saying? Okay, soul ties, uh, Thank you. Is that we were fortunate to be there and, and to experience it. And looking back on it, I'm just like, wow, crazy. And some of us are coming with this stuff. And I know a lot of couples, and, you know, they've come together, and, and they've done this, and God has been able to work on the inside and begin to replace that glue. But I, can, I promise you that it's not the easiest thing in the world. God totally can do it. He totally will do it if you have God in the center of your relationship and your marriage, and he'll totally redeem it. And he will make it as a brand new. God is the king of second chances. And it's interesting that I, I've been able to, to share with, with my wife and some other guys is that I feel that recently, probably, I've been married for five years, probably about in the past year or so, that there was just something that kind of like was removed off of my soul. And I believe that it finally became the fruition of where our marriage went and where God fulfilled himself, sorry, in our sex life and in just who we were in fulfilling that promise that the images, the pains, the, the soul ties, even the small ones, the pornography, you, it stays in your mind. And feeling like you have these ideas and these things that you want sex to be, and, and I, I felt all that stuff get broken away. As I no longer did I have like these kind of phantom ideas or thoughts or images or whatever and, and it was so freeing and he, you know I, I had him it was very tangible to me 
I believe that with, when God's name is on the line for something like this, we can come to him so broken, so messed up, we could have a hundred partners. We could have a thousand partners. I believe we ask God to come in and be part of it, that he can get rid of every single one of these little ties that are to our soul and to absolutely destroy them. I believe it. So tonight is not a night to, to feel guilty. It's not a night to feel bummed out or that you've blown it because God is challenging you to see what he can do with those soul ties. I think he's challenging you to have a whole new idea of what this thing that is driving you nuts is. He doesn't want you to be in this crazy angst and this, this crazy, uncomfortable nature of just wanting to have a girlfriend and, you know, that whole thing, I get it. And God's saying, I want you to know what this is. I believe that marital sex, again, getting back to the, the myths and distortions, and we can have the band come up. I'm almost done here. As I'll talk to you really briefly about the lies and distortions that I had, is I had one of them is that after the wedding, that sex will go downhill. I won't get in details, but I can promise you that's not the case. In fact, I would go even to a point of saying that probably your wedding night is probably the worst sex you'll have. In the best way. In the best way. I mean, you do anything. You play basketball, you know, 20 years of your life. You're going to be really good at the end of 20 years, right? You don't, you know, digress. You get better. And it gets better. And God fulfills himself more in that. Also, one of the other myths is that marriage or married sex is going to be boring, stale, and lame. Only be with one person. Uh, Nope. And studies have shown that 48% of married men say that sex was extremely, very satisfying compared with only 37% of single males say that they're even satisfied. Only 37% of single males say that they have sexual satisfaction. It's not the case. I think the also thing is that we think that sex will fix our issues. It's not going to fix our issues. In fact, I would say that your issues are going to make sex worse. That you bring all that junk, all that baggage in there, and what's supposed to be an act of worship, when it's filled with all these other things that trying to be the antidote, it's just not going to work. Because it's going after it with the wrong motives. It's going after it with the wrong purpose. This is my life. This is who I am. These are the things that I've gone through, and I don't hear anybody talking about it. Let's all stand. (sighs) Can we just hold our our hands up just in front of you? Just to receive this. Jesus, we come before you, Lord, and you only know what we have here in this room. God, you know the brokenness. God, you know the challenges. You know the temptations. God, you know the struggles. You know our failures. Lord, you know everything about us. And God, I pray that there just would be a rewiring of our minds, of our bodies, of our souls, of who we are, God, to recognize this thing, God, that you would give us a reality of this thing that seems to torment us. God, renew our minds, refine our definition of what sex is, what pleasure is, what all these things are. God, just completely hit the reset button in us, Jesus. God, we commit all of our soul ties to you.
God, we commit every last person that we've ever been hurt by, that we've given a part of ourselves to. God, I pray that you would be a redeeming God in our lives. God, that we would seek and ask for restoration and that you would do it. God, that you would begin to plug, God, all the little holes that have been punctured in us, into our heart that bleed nonstop. And God, that you would take care of that and you would redeem it and renew it and, and seal it, Lord. Seal the brokenness from our soul ties, Lord. May we be freed from the guilt. I just pray that guilt will be broken in the name of Jesus in this room. Can you feel it fall off you? Guilt is broken in the name of Jesus. Lord, that you have redeemed each one of us. Thank you, Lord, that we are just getting it wrong, but God, that you have an amazing promise, Lord, for us. We have an amazing fulfillment for us in this. God, may we come and understand more and more your heart. God, thank you that you put your name on so many of these things, and God, help us to see and to recognize and to feel and experience, God, more of your heart and who you are. And so, God, we give you our hearts tonight. We give you the hearts that we peace out and we give to other people. God, our adulterous hearts, would you take them as they are, Lord, tonight and do something with it? God, make it complete. Make it filled. God, take our souls. God, purify them. Renew them. Give us freedom. We are no longer held in the chains of bondage from shame and sin. You have broken those. Your blood spilled on the cross paid for all that, and so we no longer need to carry around any of that with us and in our lives. God, we just remove that. We thank you that you've broken it. God, let it, we're holding it in our hands. Let us let go of it. You have already paid the price, Lord. So we just ask for a redemption for that, Lord. Redeem our souls. And Lord, above all else, I pray for just a sustainment of our existence, of our bodies, of our minds, of God, just hormones and all those different things. God, give us a peace, God, within us to know that your name, your reputation, your heart is completely on the line when it comes to this topic. May we look to it with great expectation and great marvel, Lord, because you are there. God, we give you our mind, we give you our heart, we give you our soul. Jesus, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. This next song we're going to sing is a classic, but it's awesome. The words are, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, I live for you alone. If this is you tonight, if this is where you're at, may this song be a redemptive song. We live in victory. Every single one of us is free. We are free. I'm excited for what God is doing. Let's worship. <laughs> 